0: All right. Thank you all for joining me for yet another episode of the Rexburg Love Podcast. Uh, we are broadcasting to you from within deep within Rexburg, Idaho, once again. Uh, I'm very excited to bring to you all today our very first uh, direct interview with someone. And uh, it's it's one I'm really, really excited for. This person I got to know uh pretty well while they lived here in Rexburg and I gotta say I I wish that they still lived in Rexburg. Uh, I I had some great conversations and time with them and I'm really excited to bring their story to you. Today our our topic is is going to delve into what it was like to go to school here in Rexburg, uh, live here in Rexburg while starting to come to grips with uh, their stance on on feminism. So without further ado I'd like to uh, uh, say welcome to to the Rexburg Love Podcast, to my guest.
1: Hi. Hi, that's Hi. me.
0: <laughs> so great to have you here. Uh, before we start off, I'd like to ask, how do you identify?
1: Oh, uh, I'm a cisgender lady. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I identify as a badass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely love it. Thank you so much. Okay, so I uh, if, if I slip up on your pronouns or identity at all, please catch me on that. Um, I- uh, okay so yeah uh this this interview i kind of want to go over your your history uh just in in your life in general especially how it centers around uh your your faith your uh your gender and identity um so if if you'd like to just start us off uh, you know a little bit about your maybe your pre-existing family life as you came into this world and your upbringing a little bit
1: yeah okay um so i was born in a town in rural Texas. Uh, I'm the oldest like child in my family. Um, both my parents were, are um, active members of the church when I was born. Um, my dad is a convert to the church. My mom is like old school, like pioneer stock, uh, Mormon. Uh, I still use the word Mormon just cause old habits die hard yeah, I grew up in, in a rural town. Um, Not a lot of other members of the church. Like when I was in high school, I was one of five and the other person, uh, and like one of those five was my sibling Um, in our our high school of about 900 students. So uh, very, it was the, probably the part of the country where if like the like buckle of the Bible belt. Like if you can, if you can imagine that. Um, So I have one sibling from my dad and my mom's marriage. And then I have another sibling from my mom and uh, the man that she married after my dad. Um, So I have a, a, a sister from, from that relationship. I mean, we were, It was a very small ward that I grew up in, like a small town and an even smaller ward, Um, probably like 30 active members total, like coming to coming to church on Sundays. Um, And I was my mom was like primary president, literally from the time I was in Sunbeams to until like I graduated high school. Like, like, uh, as she was even, like, excommunicated for several years during part of that, but she still, like, led the music in primary. Um, my parents divorced when I was 11, and that was really difficult Being, um, being so devout in the church, and, like, they had a temple marriage, and, like, families are forever, and then all of a sudden, like, yours isn't. And I'm like, what do you do with that? Um, And then, you know, I didn't know at the time that she was excommunicated. It was something that like, I kind of realized later, um, a few years later when she was rebaptized and I was in seminary and I was like, oh, like you kind of, you don't just get to be rebaptized, like something had to happen. Um, And so (laughs) my mom's a very, very private person. Um, and our relationship is a little, we just don't talk about that (laughs) kind of stuff. Um, as to, as to like why she didn't talk about it with me. Um, I just kind of assume that's like her business and how it affects me is my business. I was so happy for her. Um, because I, I saw how much her membership in the church meant to her and for her to, to have that back was, was tremendously important to her. And so, yeah, I was really happy. I remember like my grandpa flew down from, from Idaho and baptized her and she, she was baptized and my baby sister was um, blessed on the same day. And so that was like, was a big deal for us at the time, I was probably like thirteen fourteen somewhere in there place that I grew up in most folks were either like really Catholic or really protestant, and there wasn't a lot of um, a lot of room in between the The very few uh, atheist and agnostic friends that I had at school had to be a little bit careful like who they Divulge that stuff too. At the time, I didn't really think. I was like, "Oh, it's not that big a deal. Like, people aren't going to make fun of you for that." But uh, once I sort of left that situation, I was like, "Oh, oh shit! No, they really did have to be really careful about that." And um, so, as far as like being Mormon growing up in that, it was unpleasant. I had friends who, whose parents wouldn't let them come over to my house. Uh, I had friends who would like come to stake dances but their parents would would make them like leave the room anytime we prayed i had people who would make fun of me uh i had a a friend's boyfriend would like hound me about being a sinner because i drank dr pepper and I was like, this isn't even, like, your thing. You don't, you don't understand it. You need to back off. That was the bad end of things. I mean, it was, it was the kind of thing where it was, we were young enough that I was like, oh, so-and-so, like, do you want to come over to my house for a sleepover? And, you know, kids having no filter and religion being such a prominent aspect of the culture there, they were very blunt and were like, no, you're Mormon. Like, my, my parents won't let me. I'm certain that... Like, I know for a fact there were several preachers or or ministers in the town who had, like, anti-Mormon sermons as, like, a yearly part of their, their, like, church services because, like, friends would come to school and be like, oh, we heard about how terrible you are. Uh, but it's so weird because like, I know you and you don't, I don't know. I don't remember the examples they used. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just kind of stuff like that. It really galvanized that kind of martyr complex that, that some people get, uh, in this, in this faith of like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this because you know, I would, I'm true blue. Like I would die for this when like really it's just kids being stupid kids, but it. If anything, it, it really—I'm a an obstinate person by nature, and so it just like made me dig my heels in more. I remember being in primary and like one day, like asking my mom, like, "Hey, when is it going to be? Like, when do I get to bless the sacrament?" Uh, and she's like, "Oh, well, you don't." And I was like, "Well, why not?" And she was like, "Well, only only men bless the sacrament." And I remember thinking, like. Well, that doesn't make sense. Like I'm capable. Like I know boys. Like I'm just. I'm just as capable. And I was probably like I was young enough that I hadn't ever figured out that there were no women priesthood holders. So I think I was definitely younger than eight. Um, like I don't think I had been baptized yet. And that's kind of the attitude that I've I've had in, in the back of my mind, um, kind of my whole life. I remember I grew up specifically with with a young a young man who I was quite close with in our ward, we were the same age and we'd always, we'd just been, we grew up together and we'd been friends. And I would get so angry with him at how cavalierly he took um, blessing and passing the sacrament. He would joke about it and say how much of an annoyance it was and that he wished he didn't have to do it. And I remember like, so my seminary class had like four kids in it at any given time tops. And so we had some very frank discussion. And I remember once during one of these discussions when he mentioned like how irritating blessing the sacrament was, like, I just kind of lost it with him. And I turned to him and I was like crying. And I was like, you have no idea what I would give to be able to do that once. I don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't thinking about those things. Well, he was just kind of like a teenage boy about it, you know, (laughs) just, I don't want to say disregarding my emotions about it, um, but just sort of like, it's not that big a deal. Like, calm down. I remember very specifically, like, telling him how much he was taking it for granted. Yeah, I it was, it's been a, a bit of a struggle for me, to be really honest. Um, even now, as like a, an adult, um, I'm an award where we actually have deacons, uh, which was not something that we really had. Really. It was a, an older demographic of a and they're 12-year-old boys. <laughs> you know, there are times where, like, I'm being passed the sacrament, and just about every week, I'm like, what does, what does this child have that I don't? I probably talked to my stepmom about it. I was always very close with her, and I probably felt like I could... Not necessarily commiserate, but sort of like bounce questions off of her. Uh, she also happened to be my my seminary teacher, which for all four years, which was which was nice in a lot of ways. Questions weren't super welcome. Not necessarily like my not necessarily by my parents. Like I don't I I don't remember them ever telling me not to have questions. Um, but I remember like specifically. A lot of leaders would, would have problems with, with some of the, the questions that I had. So I actually ended up taking Temple Prep three times. And once, twice in Rexburg and once in Texas. The twice in Rexburg, once I took it with a roommate, I didn't want to go alone. The second I took it because I had just gotten engaged. And the third because I moved back home. And then to plan for the wedding. They were just so excited to have somebody go through for a live ordinance. (laughs) They decided to do temple prep for me. (laughs) Um, The temple prep teachers in Rexburg were great, super chill. There were were quite a few people in the classes as you can probably imagine. It wasn't wasn't a super big deal. It was just like specialized Sunday school. But for this one, in Texas, it was me and I think another couple who had just gotten engaged. And the guy who was teaching it was, like, really weird, like, space doctrine-y, like, once he gave a talk about how Stonehenge was built by aliens who are actually angels, like, just, <laughs> just like, oh, wacky dude. And he was, I was, I was not a fan of this guy. He would, he would talk about like how everything in the temple is symbolic and, and just, just those kinds of things. But I remember I had a specific question and it had to do with, I still, I still hold these things sacred, but just, I had a, I had a question. Um, I was bothered by, I was bothered by something and I, I asked the question and it was probably, you know the last in a, in a long line of questions that I had been asking. Um, and he turned to me and he glared at me uh, and he said, because that's the way they have, I think he said like, because that's the way it was revealed to be. Do you have any more questions it, that like, that was a moment that really changed things for me when I sort of realized like, Oh, like I'm, I'm, disrupting the status quo a little bit by, by asking these things, like, like, this isn't, this makes people uncomfortable, and having grown up and been socialized, like, as a woman, and especially in the South, like, you don't make people uncomfortable, like, that is the antithesis of your, of your purpose for existence.
0: At at some point, you arrive in BYU, Idaho, in Rexburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, can you walk us through a little bit your, your decision-making process from a high schooler to what you're going to do after high school and what lands you in Rexburg eventually?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I knew what I wanted to study. Um, I ended up, I studied music uh, and I had wanted to go to BYU in Provo um, because they have a stellar music program there. Um, and so I auditioned and I didn't get in. Okay. Uh, and I had also, ad- or I had also applied to BYU-Idaho and those were the only two schools that I applied to. <laughs> and now, I have, wait,
0: Why just those two? I
1: honestly couldn't tell you. Um, <laughs> it probably had something to do with the cost. Um, I... Knew that I would be paying for quite a bit of my education by myself. Okay. And I, um, I didn't want to spend that much money. Uh, yeah. There was that's also, fair. you know, a lot of of the idea was drilled into me that like it's important to go to the Lord's school, um, which were things that that my leaders had said to me.
0: Now, I don't want to poison the well again a little bit too much here, but when you, when you say the Lord's School, what's, what, what comes to your mind? Is it, B, is it BYU first, BYU-Idaho second, or are they both considered on par as far as the Lord's School?
1: So in my ward, I can, I can only speak to my ward, um, but in my ward, the good kids go to BYU, but the great kids went to BYU-Idaho. <laughs>
0: like, oh really? Like, yeah, it was, like it was good BYU, great BYU Idaho. Oh yeah,
1: the really righteous kids went to BYU Idaho. Wow.
0: Like, they don't
1: even get to wear shorts at BYU Idaho. Like
0: So <laughs> so uh, now is this you uh projecting a little bit on the past or at the time was it uh the uh, uh, specifically a, a memory about shorts being an elevated law for the more 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 Lord schoolish here in in Rexburg.
1: Oh no! Like that was a thing. Like my stake young women's leader, who I actually had a falling out with later, um, that we could talk about if you want. <laughs> Most
0: definitely, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: would would say things like that. Like she wouldn't let us wear flip flops to okay. church meetings because they didn't wear flip flops on campus at BYU Idaho. Like it was a thing.
0: Interesting. So they're starting to follow the patterns of the Lord's universities there in rural Texas to prepare you for some sort of higher law. Is that how you kind of saw it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of
0: interesting.
1: And like this was a a small pocket of, of folks in the ward. um, But they were the ones who were working mostly with the youth. So,
0: so I, I just have to interject a little bit here as a, as a native Rexburgian, (laughs) how how astonishing this is to me because it seems like in most mormon media that you would see like uh singles ward and things like that Mm -hmm. there was the ongoing joke how BYU byu idaho was the fallback lord's university there was a main lord's university but byu idaho was what you went to if you didn't make it in the lord's university and it was the ongoing joke here in rexburg as well uh, and so to hear kind of the opposite coming from rural Texas, granted, this is five years after I graduated, but uh, still, that's it's astounding and quite, quite funny to me. I like it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually really surprised when I got there and, and found out how many people were there as like a fallback type thing. And I was also a little obstinate about it. I was like, "No, I chose to come here." <laughs> I think because I got into BYU, I just didn't get into the music program.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, and so yeah, I was. I was kind of an asshole of like, I could have gone to BYU, but I chose to come to BYU, <laughs> Idaho because I'm righteous. Like, no, I listen. love
0: that. And I I got to say, I'm fascinated with your, did you say it was your young woman's leader about the flip-flops and shorts?
1: Stake young woman's leader. Yeah. Stake
0: young woman's leader. I've got to say I'm fascinated by that because growing up here in Rexburg at the time it was, it was Bednar that was the president of the university mm. here. And uh pretty much any of the things that Bednar enacted uh, as a president of BYU-Idaho became a thing for, I mean, I can only speak to my ward and my stake, but it definitely became a thing for my ward and my stake. Like he had a thing where at the start of each of his devotionals, he'd raise his scriptures high and say scripture power, and everyone would raise their scriptures too and say it with him. And we started doing that in all of our meetings as young men's here in Rexburg, and I thought that was a wholly unique Rexburg thing. But to hear that your state young women's president in Texas was doing similar things with shorts and sandals is fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, I think she had a, I think she had a couple kids who were at BYU Idaho at the time, um, or mm. had just graduated or something. Okay, and so that may be the link. But yeah, it was it was buck wild
0: fascinating so then uh, so you had applied to BYU you got in just not in the program you wanted mm-hmm. so then you chose BYU Idaho correct
1: yes and I partly chose BYU Idaho because I had uh some family in the area okay uh, and it just so the, the cost having family in the area um it really did feel like like this was was where I was supposed to go okay uh, and so I just followed that
0: so as far as that's supposed to go, if you want to share, please do. But if you don't, mm-hmm. that's totally understandable as well. But, uh, as, as a Mormon, was there any degree of, uh, of praying, fasting, uh, you know, temple trips, uh, anything like that, that went into this decision? Did you have any special experiences that helped with that decision?
1: Um, I, I know I prayed about it. I specifically remember, uh, a very powerful experience, um, where I was trying to decide and I think I had was like texting my boyfriend at the time and was like, I really don't know. Um, like, what should I do? Uh, and he was, um, Christian, but not Mormon. Uh, and he was like, well, like you should, you should read the Bible. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that because that's what he told me to do. So instead, (laughs) uh, I started reading the hymnal and there's a, a verse in come, come ye saints, uh, Uh, which is where none shall come to hurt, or make afraid, far away in the West. Uh, mm. And that like far away in the West part, I was like, oh, okay. Like, like this is what I'm, I'm supposed to do. Like, this is where I'm supposed to go. Um, and I like still have that hymnal where I like wrote and dated, like I got this answer. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Whenever I turn to that page, cause I'd be like, oh, like this was the decision that led to, so many other decisions that made me the person that I am right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. Who Thank I Thank you like, for sharing that. So. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's a pretty powerful spiritual experience to help you feel like uh, this is where you need to be. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, so, so at this point, you're 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 graduating high school. You're you've received the spiritual experience to come to the West. I, uh, you know, Utah and Rexburg are, or, uh, or Provo and Rexburg are about equally West, but yeah. y- y- you know, you want to come this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it, where are you in standings with, with the church and your faith? I, I know it, for, for many Mormon youth, it's very emphasized to receive your own testimony, receive your own mm-hmm. witness that this church is true, possibly read the book of Mormon and take Moroni's promise. Had it, it, where, where were you in, in, in regards to your testimony and whether or not you felt like this, this was Going to be your own faith and not just your parents' testimony.
1: Um. So a lot of my testimony is somewhat rooted in question. Okay. Uh, if that if that makes any sense, um, I feel I personally feel like there are questions that I am going to wrestle with for the rest of my mortality. Okay. Um, and this was the first time that I remember having those questions. Um, so specifically, like, does God exist? Um, when I was a uh, senior in high school, that was the first time that I really, like, grappled with that question. Mm. Um, and, like, if he doesn't exist, what does that mean? If he does exist, what does that mean? Like, um, And that was the, f- the first time that I remember asking that question and, and getting the first of um, many, not necessarily answers, but responses um, that, that I felt was okay. Um sorry, I know I sound like I'm I'm dodging the question.
0: No, you're just fine. <laughs> okay. Only share what you want to share.
1: Okay. Um at that time I was firmly I firmly believed that um if there was a God, then he was happy with the person that I was becoming and that he wanted me to go to Rexburg and that he wanted me to continue um, faithfully in, in the Mormon church. And so that's, that's what I did.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, you received these, these very powerful witnesses through the hymnal, through uh, it, through other experiences. That if there is a God, this is where you're going to be. So then mm-hmm. you uh, you you graduate high school in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, it, do you remember arriving in Rexburg? What season it was? What your first impressions were?
1: M- oh my Atlanta. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> um, it was fall. I started in the fall semester.
0: Okay, the remember- fall semester goes from. What month to what month?
1: It was like September.
0: Because BYU-Idaho works on a little bit different schedule Mm -hmm. than other colleges. So for other people who might be listening that have never attended BYU-Idaho, how does the the system work there?
1: Gotcha. Uh, So I was on what they called the fall-spring track. And so that meant that I was enrolled in school from September to December. Okay. uh, And then Christmas break. And then I was enrolled from... April to the end of July.
0: Okay. So, so did you have any uh, pre-knowledge about what things would, how Rexburg would become (laughs) weather-wise post October?
1: (laughs) Um, I literally everyone in, like everyone who knew that I was going to Idaho thought that I was crazy
0: <laughs> especially from Texas, right?
1: Yes. Um I bought like this darling peacoat that I was so excited for. Um my dad got me these truly hideous snow boots that I literally never wore. Um which was a crying shame because they were very nice quality, but I thought they were ugly. Um my parents called every damn day to make <laughs> sure i wore my coat in the winter time and and they were they're divorced and so they weren't calling together they each called me separately and i was like i do not have time for this i'm trying not to fail my classes um
0: so that first so, semester starts in september and ends in december right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, uh, it, it, we'll get to your other first impressions of Rexburg first. But as a as a Rexburgian, you know, I'm fascinated with people's first reaction to their first winter here. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, a... so, so as it starts to turn, walk us through, you know, what you're what you're starting to experience.
1: Oh my gosh! Okay, there's a picture of me on Facebook um, <laughs> of the first time I saw like ice on the ground. Um, so like, it, it,
0: were were you born and raised in Texas?
1: Mm-hmm, did
0: mm-hmm. you, did you ever experience any sort of snow or ice down there? I,
1: I, down there, I think it snowed maybe twice the, the entire time I lived there. Um, I had gone out to visit family in Idaho, like a couple of Christmases. Mm. Um, and then like had gone to Yellowstone and like up in the mountains where okay. there was snow, but I had never like lived in snow right like i had never (laughs) woken up um and there's just been snow constantly (laughs) and the other thing that y'all don't think about but the closer you get to the equator the less the the sun like fluctuates during Mm, the daytime um and so the whole like it gets dark at four freaking o'clock <laughs> was so awful, and I didn't understand. And then the temperature also doesn't fluctuate at night because we're so close to the coast. Yeah, where I grew up, and so like whatever temperature it was in the daytime, like that's about how cold it would be at night. Like you didn't
0: have the sixty in the afternoon and ten in the evening.
1: No, it was like, like the idea that I would have to take a coat somewhere so that I could walk home at night (laughs) was so foreign to me. Like I froze my ass off walking home from Brolum's like many, many times.
0: Oh, I absolutely love that. Yeah. Rexburg is a different beast, especially if you're coming from the South. That's crazy. Oh Yeah. Did you ever have days where you were just, like, writing in your journal, where am I, why do my boogers hurt, why am I here? Yes,
1: yes, (laughs) Um, yes, I, yeah. Um,
0: So so aside from temperature, what were some of your other first impressions of Rexburg? You've talked about how important the decision to come here was to you. mm -hmm. Uh, Upon arriving here, meeting your roommates, going to orientation, starting out your life in Rexburg, how did that hold up with your preconceived notions? And what were some things that really stood out to you here in Rexburg?
1: Okay. So I arrived in Rexburg, moved into my apartment. Um, it was this whole big thing with my family, but orientation is where things really got fun for me. Um, because I actually met my husband, uh, at, at orientation for, oh, wow. for, B- yeah, yeah, at BYU Idaho. Um, we sometimes lie about that, uh, <laughs> and just pretend that it was literally anything else, um, <laughs> cause it's a little lame, uh. But no, we were in the same orientation group. And so a lot of my first impressions of Rexburg are really wrapped up in that um, beginning of, of what would be the, the great romance of my life. Um, and and, and so, this, is,
0: this is the latter half of 2009 or 2010?
1: 2009. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember th- thinking that... Rexburg is so much more walkable (laughs) than anything in Texas. How so? Uh, Well, it's so damn hot down there. Mm. Uh, Nobody wants to walk anywhere. And so, and there's also so much room. Like I know Idaho has, has a lot of room as well, but just geographically, there's so much space in Texas that towns really do just sprawl out. Uh, And so population wise, Rexburg was about the same size as the town that I grew up in, Um, but it was a lot denser than than where I grew up. And so that was really nice for me.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. here here in Idaho, we like to say that you can drive 500 miles and still be in the same state. But in Idaho, that's only (laughs) if you go in one direction. But in Texas, that's pretty much any direction, right?
1: Yeah, um, it (laughs) takes... 12 hours to get to the other side of texas minimum no matter which side you start from
0: wow that's so. mind-bogglingly huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it's it's a it's a drive that's for sure
0: like i'm pretty sure times that by two and i can get across the entire united states
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you you get to you get to Rexburg, and it's uh it yeah Comparing it like that, it is a whole lot more walkable. Brolams mm-hmm. is only, you know, a few blocks away from pretty much anywhere you're at, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really love that aspect of it. Excuse me. Um, as far some... as
0: the as far as the church culture goes, so you were familiar with a a smaller ward. Uh, it, yeah. right in the middle of the Bible belt. And then you come up here to Rexburg, which is huge wards, many of them, all in a in a town, like you said, very mm-hmm. similar to the size of the town you grew up in. How was that as far as a change for you?
1: Oh, I hated it. Really? I how so? I hated it so much. I hated that there were two relief societies. Um, I thought that was weird. I I hated how many people there were. Uh, in a ward, um, and not really getting to know the leaders, because mm. um, growing up, I had always had a quite a cr- close relationship with with the leaders of my ward um, and in Rexburg, unless the the leadership really, really makes an effort um, that just doesn 't happen yeah and um, and so that was. That was difficult. Um, I had some kind of crummy roommates my first semester, uh, and so uh, the whole the whole like roommate policing, like 1984 bullshit that goes on was was really uh, significant in that apartment.
0: So if you don't mind expounding a little bit on that because i'm yeah I, I I believe some of our listeners are going to maybe have tangentially heard about honor code office debacles mm-hmm. or uh ecclesiastical endorsement type things, but for any who didn't go to college here and they they may only be familiar with like you know you, you've got to make sure you're temple worthy in the church right uh, h- can you expound on how it's 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 a little bit more severe in the college scene
1: yeah um so i'm just gonna kind of explain how it was for me but that doesn't necessarily mean that i agree that's how it should be yeah i just want want that super clear
0: definitely um
1: so part of the honor code as it's written uh sort of states that it's also your responsibility to make sure that the people around you are also following the honor code. Um, And so like, if your roommates are out, like past a certain amount of time, like you're supposed to encourage them to come back home. Or like if they're spending a lot of time with a certain other person of the opposite sex, because of course everyone at BYU-Idaho is straight, right?
0: Um,
1: (laughs) Then like you're supposed to, to like make sure that they're that they're doing okay and like check their outfit like for women especially like make sure that they're dressed modestly like before they go places and like encourage them. It's all under like the guise of encouragement, but it really just is peer pressure. Um, so, you,
0: so you mentioned that was a particular difficulty with your first group of roommates. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have any stories that you want to share that kind of expounds upon that feeling you had?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, my husband. And I lived in apartments that were fairly close to each other. Um, to the this point- is while
0: you're dating, right?
1: Yes, this is while we were dating. H-
0: had, had you become engaged yet or just boyfriend, girlfriend?
1: No. So, well, uh, our story is a little complicated. Um, he actually quasi-proposed. Um, let's see. We met in September. He quasi-proposed uh, around Thanksgiving, and so, so just a
0: few months after you two met at orientation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay. And
1: like I knew, like I was, I was all in from like day one. Okay. Um, but uh, he still had a mission that he wanted to to go on, and so I ended up um, waiting for him okay. while he was on his mission, like so hardcore. So he, so
0: he he went to he went to college before his mission as yeah. what uh, what the the Rexburgites will call a preemie, right?
1: Yes. And, yes and, he and, was ha- a preemie. and how did
0: you feel starting to date someone who was labeled oh a, a preemie here? Because <laughs> there's, there's definitely a stigma to that. There's such here. a stigma
1: to it. I know. Okay, so I remember having a real heart-to-heart with my stepmom um, before I left to go to college. And she was like, you know, a lot of people meet their spouse uh like a lot of people a lot of girls meet their husband when they go to college like is that something that you're ready for and I was like uh, no uh <laughs> obviously I'm going and like this this is really truly how I felt and believed um I was uh ashamedly one of the not like other girls type of type of teenage girls yeah, yeah. um and so like i was the cool chill one um, with my undiagnosed anxiety disorder (laughs) but um so she she was like are you are you prepared to to maybe meet your your eternal spouse and i was like no like i'm not gonna date for like at least the first year that i'm there because um, you know i really am there to get an occasion i'm serious about a music career. That's really what I want in life. Um, and I, I don't want to be distracted from that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to date anyone. And even if I do, um, I'm not going to date someone who hasn't gone on a mission, um, because I don't have time for that. Okay. It was, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, only going on a mission makes you worthy to be with me, type of thing. It was genuinely like, I do not have the time to get hung up on some dude who is gonna ditch me for two years. Like, <laughs> uh, and then I super did.
0: So, so this this brings up an important focus that I'd like to expound on a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, as as a as a woman attending a Mormon university. Where, like you said, your stepmother was preparing you for the possibility of finding someone that you would possibly like to marry. Mm-hmm. You were you were very career oriented going there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? So you you said you wanted to be in the music program. Did you have an idea already of a a, a road map for your career at all?
1: Yeah. Um, so this isn't at all how things turned out. Um, but what I had wanted to do was I wanted to go to. BYU-Idaho for two years um, and sort of soak up everything I could there and get an associate's degree and then um, enroll in the music program at BYU in Provo. Okay. And then because BYU in Provo had a um, music dance theater degree. And at the time, what I really wanted to do was perform musical theater. um, Okay stuff. Uh, so that was, that was my roadmap at the time.
0: Okay. And so, so as you, as you arrive in Rexburg and start going to college here, uh, as with this, you know, focus of yours in mind of coming here for your career, uh, did you feel like that was at odds with the culture of, of the, the college here or your peers around you?
1: Oh, absolutely. How so? Um, it's just like i don't i don't know if this was something that was like uh there was, like for example there was a apartment building called carriage house um that was near the apartment building that i lived in that uh had like somebody quasi vandalized the sign to say marriage house and like nobody took it down and it was just kind of accepted
0: (laughs) um that that one i'm having a hard time not just busting a gut because marriage house was in my student ward when i was going to school there oh word yeah we were we were seeing people married off pretty much every week there
1: (laughs) yeah um i mean i despite my um obstinence and, and being career oriented, I did get a, a boyfriend literally my first week at school. Um, I was in a very serious and committed relationship with him and people didn't like that. They didn't like that. I was, um,
0: and, and this was with your current husband.
1: Yes. Yes. This is my husband. Okay. Um, they didn't like that. I was dating someone, who hadn't gone on a mission. Um, I was told often that I was going to be a distraction. Um, I I mean, and that's that's with the relationship, but in terms of, of the career, um, I really don't feel that the some of the professors sorry, this is you know, I'll just say it, fuck it. um I really don't feel like the professors took their female students as seriously as they did the men um n- and not not all of the professors uh but but certainly some of them were very seriously preparing the their male students for careers in the music industry, and the female students were just like, "Oh, well, you'll teach out of your home that way you can still be there with your kids Wow and like um. I didn't have the i didn't have the vocabulary at the time to push back against that uh i at that time was very deferential to authority and authority basically just meant anyone with a penis yeah. <laughs> so um and so i i didn't push back I was like oh well that's that's probably what I'm supposed to do then. Like if, if, if this professor thinks that, then, then that's, then that's what, what I should be doing. Um, And so it was, it was really hard like having these goals and aspirations and being told that like having aspirations is not part of God's plan for you, which is of course total bullshit. But at the time I, I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. So this is all, this is all absolutely fantastic stuff. There's so many things that I wish we just had hours upon hours to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> I absolutely love everything you're sharing. Um, what, one, one thing that I do want to ask about real quick was mm-hmm. the, the idea that you said you received from others that as you, as you started to enhance your relationship with your with your uh with your boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. later husband your your significant other that there was a possibility you were going to be a distraction to them mm-hmm. and i can't help but try to frame it in the world outside of the church especially if i just look at like movies or you know other things like that where uh, you have the very romantic story of Person meets person. These two people fall in love. They're able to explore their relationship and build on it from there. And I I can't help but wonder how it felt for you to have this wonderful thing unfolding in front of you that you were hearing people tell you, yeah, this is a wonderful thing that's unfolding. But by nature of you indulging in this relationship at this time, you're hurting your significant other's Possible position in this church or activity in this church is that something that I, I don't know. I, I I don't want to read too much into your situation mm-hmm. or, or influence your own story. But is anything I'm saying here anything that you you struggled with or had a had a hard time with?
1: Um. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I'll uh, I'll say that we were we both started dating each other when we were teenagers and uh, had just moved to a. A new place where nobody knew us, and so we had all of the, both all the freedom and all the hormones that come along with that situation. Yeah, um, and and also you know the the romantic feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the I'd like to just sort of focus on on the word distraction um, because nobody ever told boyfriend at the time, now my husband, nobody ever told them that he was distracting me. Um, nobody ever assumed that my purpose was just as grand and glorious as his, hmm. um, which it is. Yeah. And um, it, to me, like looking back on that, it's sort of uh, shows how much in the culture women and uh, especially young women and teenagers are, objectified and seen as um temptation or um distraction or just they're not people they are viewed solely in their relationship to the men in their lives Uh, and then as women get older and they um either do or don't have children um their whole identity is is sort of based on on their whether or not they've they have a child or they've raised a child or again their relationship their status and their personhood has nothing to do with them and everything to do with their relationships to others yeah um and so coming to terms with the fact that like i am a person and i deserve everything that that a man deserves uh, was monumental for me i love that that happened in (laughs) Rexburg.
0: absolutely love that so so to to get start to get to the central focus of of this interview with you Mm -hmm. the the main reasons that we wanted to flesh this out. You coming to terms with your own position in regards to feminism while in Rexburg to rewind just a little bit mm-hmm. uh, as, as a, as a younger member of the church in Texas, a female before you arrive in Rexburg, what was your relationship with feminism growing up?
1: Oh, hell. Uh, <laughs> it was a dirty word. Was it? Mm-hmm. Uh it was, like I was taught in high school that like Gloria Steinem was a bad woman who didn't understand her place. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, like that was a quote from, from one of my history teachers. Wow. Um, it, yeah. It, it just, it wasn't ever like a, and this is, this is the thing I think about a lot of, marginalization and um and those sorts of things is that it's very rarely the outright like go in the kitchen and make me a sandwich sort of shit it's it's just woven into the fabric of your life to the point that until someone else points it out you don't see it okay um and so there were a lot of, of things in my life that I just didn't see. Like my assuming that any, any male who was older than me had authority over me. Like that wasn't something anyone had ever told me. That was just what I believed because of, of the experiences that I had growing up.
0: So we we, we kind of get to the term patriarchy here.
1: Hi, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, and as a, as a male who is definitely privileged, very much so because of my my gender, how I identify, how I present myself. Uh, for me, it took me a long time to identify what. What people were talking about when they use the term patriarchy, and I and I want to dive into this a little bit more farther along in your story as we as we start to flesh out your, uh, it, you know, becoming a feminist and and such as that, uh, but but for now, um, so so you mentioned your your history teacher's viewpoint on uh, on on feminism, and uh, up until you you leave for Rexburg, uh. Did you ever start to feel any any feminist awakenings or have any role models that you're following? Or was all that squarely once you went off to
1: college? Right. So I had always been drawn to um, fiercely independent women in fiction. Hmm. Um, I remember the, like... Uh, I've always enjoyed clothing as an aspect of self-expression, uh, and Halloween was a was a really big holiday for me for that. Uh, and the Halloween costumes that I remember like being the most thrilled about were Eowyn when I was like ten, <laughs> and Dana Scully from the X Files when I was like fourteen. Absolutely um, love it. And, um, you know, both, both of these women have tremendous ability to exist in a world that is unkind to them, um, but they can still maintain who they are and it doesn't, they're not hardened by it. Yeah, um, and so whether I had the the vocabulary for it or not, like I think um, I've always been been attracted to to those sort of sort of role models. Um, I would say that like I wouldn't even have self identified as feminist until much later in my education. Okay. Um,
0: so, so if someone brought a mic to your face when you first set foot in Rexburg and asked you two questions, number one, do you identify as a feminist? And number two, what do you think of feminism? Can you think back on, on your, your previous years and what you would have answered them on that day?
1: Uh, I would have said no to the first question. And what do I think of feminism? Um, I think my answer would have been, I don't think about it at all. Okay. Like, it's just, it wasn't something that I felt was necessary. It was kind of, um, uh, I, I kind of think of the quote uh, from the Book of Mormon, where they're like, we have a Bible, we need no more Bible. It's like, we yeah. got the right to vote. Like, we don't need any more. <laughs> like, we're good. Like, what else is there? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably what I would have thought about it at the time.
0: I love it. Uh, did you have any other uh, questions, experiences regarding anything beyond cisgender heterosexuality during your, your, your growing up years before coming to Rexburg?
1: One, it wasn't really something that I was paying attention to um, because, well, one, I was a teenager and selfish. And two, I felt like it didn't really affect me. Um, but I've always been um, involved in like theater and that sort of thing. Um, and I attended a theater camp the summer before my senior year of high school. And there was a um, a young man there who was, was gay. Well, there were several, but in sp- specific, um, there was a young man there who was gay. And we were having a conversation just as a group and it sort of came out that I was Mormon. Like, it, it's never really been something that, like, I broadcast, um, mostly because of, of some of the difficult experiences that I had growing up. Um, but it's something that, like, if, if asked, like, I'll give the information, but, like, I don't necessarily – I don't offer it up, right? Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Mormon, and everyone was shocked just really? Like, yeah, um, just really taken aback, and I was like, "Is that like like what's going on?" And this young man looked me in the eye, and he said, "But you don't hate me." Oh wow! And it like that was that was a pivotal moment in in my life uh, that I didn't really realize it at the time. Cause at the time I was just like, of course I don't like you're great. And called him like whatever stupid nickname we had made up for each other. Um, But like, I think people in the church don't understand the damage that they can do. Yeah. Um, And it's hard because they feel like they're doing the right thing. But so, so this is, I um, kind of, I'm going to go off script a little bit. Yeah. Um, but this is the core of my testimony, um, if that's okay to share.
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay. Um, there was, in my opinion, no greater advocate for the marginalized than Jesus Christ, um, period. Like, he was the. He was there for the marginalized and not there for the status quo and if you are going to be a member of a church and have his name, then like you you damn well better make sure that you are speaking for the marginalized because because that's what matters. Um, and I so love that. yeah, like that that moment really sort of crystallized into um, where I am today.
0: I love that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you learning more about feminism and becoming a, a feminist yourself, a champion for your for your identified gender. And just if you could share with us what that transition was like.
1: I mean, a lot of it came from the internet, which is a little bit of a cliche uh, for someone in in my generation, but it is what it is. Um, so when my husband was on his mission, he would like, you know, there's like P-Day where you can, can email. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he served in a foreign country and was in a very different time zone than I was. And so I would actually stay up. His P-Day was on Mondays. And so I would stay up way into the early hours of Monday morning uh, and wait for him to get online and then we would email back and forth uh, during his during his like allotted emailing time
0: Oh awesome so kind of like a quasi chat room but just through immediate emails:
1: exactly exactly love it uh, and in order to keep myself awake waiting for him to get online, which was normally at like three or four in the morning um, but I couldn't fall asleep because like what if I missed it right yeah Uh, I would I was just like on the internet um and and reading a lot about um I've always enjoyed reading other people's stories uh and I I really found myself drawn to other women's stories and and gathering their perspectives and I remember one night I remember one night I was um I was reading about uh, someone who had been assaulted. Okay. And it was the first time that someone had introduced the idea that it wasn't the person who had been assaulted's fault for what happened to them.
0: So that's the first time that you've come to that viewpoint. What was your viewpoint beforehand?
1: Um, that, like, well, like, what were you wearing? Or like, you know, you must have been broadcasting it in some way that that this was, was something that you wanted a little bit or like, it wasn't, like, we're not placing the blame solely on the victim, but like, it was a little bit your fault, right? Um, that was so, kind of... The, so there's,
0: there's probably going to be right. some people listening to this that currently have that viewpoint. So share with us what it was like to to have that start to change for you through what you were reading.
1: Okay. Um, So I'll I'll tell a story. (laughs) Love it. Uh, I was in Athens, Greece on a trip um, before my senior year of high school, and I was walking down the street, and it was me, and um, my stepmom was there because she had organized the trip. It's like, you know, a bunch of high school students from America Mm -hmm. trolling around Europe for two weeks. It was fantastic, Um, but I was in Athens, and I was walking down the street, and a man um, groped me. As oh, no. I was walking. Um, and it was pretty devastating for me. I didn't understand. I remember thinking that the girl who was walking next to me, I'm so ashamed of this, by the way, um, of this thought, not what happened to me. That wasn't my fault. Yeah. Um, but the girl next to me was, um, in my opinion, more... Less moral than I was. Mm. And I was like, I don't understand why he picked me and not her. Obviously, she's asking for it and I'm innocent. Um, wow. And so I really internalized this. Like, I went over, like, I was wearing the most Buckwild outfit. I was wearing lime green capris with a blue skirt over them and a t-shirt with pastel owls on it because I was in Athens and owls (laughs) were the symbol of Athena. Like like the most nerdy ass weirdest shit you can imagine. It was like converse with penguins on them. I had horrifically frizzy red hair and like weird wireframe glasses. Like I was a weird beard kid and this guy picked me to assault in a wow. in a very in a sexual way and i really internalized i was like what did i do like what was i wearing is it because i was wearing like like was it this skirt like is it like are my boobs too big like what, like, what did I do that I deserved this?
0: And those were were your first thoughts at the time were yeah. to immediately start wondering what, what you did wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, the first thing I did was I flipped the guy off. I yelled at him and I flipped him off. And then I immediately started like the self-assessment of like, was I walking suggestively? Was I, Uh, And keep in mind, like, I was in a group of people, I was next to my stepmother, and it it was just, it was just random. This was a man who had, for some reason or another, the belief that he owned other women's bodies, and he could do whatever he wanted with them. And he chose me. I was underage at the time, by the way. Um, And... Again, it had nothing to do with me, but at the time, I believed it was at least partly my fault. Wow. Um, and so I remember, like, being awake at three o'clock in the morning in Rexburg, and this is the first time somebody had mentioned that, like, it's not the victim's fault. Like, it, it's it's it just isn't, period. And... I hadn't thought about that memory in a long time. Like I had just kind of compartmentalized it and and put it away. And all of a sudden, all of this came rushing back to me. And I was like, I remember like crying in like the light of my laptop um, because I had been absolved of this guilt that I didn't even realize that I had been carrying.
0: Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I just want to take a minute to let you know that I, 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 I believe your story and, and what happened to you is, is not okay. And, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm very glad that you were able to have that moment that you were seeing other people validate that I mean, you, you were the victim and that's kind of the, the core of victimhood that, it's not their fault. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's the definition of of being a victim. I mean, you think of that term used in any other situation, like a a, a plane crash. Well, what were they doing flying in? A, no, it, <laughs> they're a victim. Something right. terrible happened to them, and uh, and I'm I'm glad that you're able to have that moment and start to see that that horrific experience in a different light. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah.